Coming up on episode 17 of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. NBA writer for The Athletic, Jared Weiss, starts the show off getting into the start of the 2019-2020 NBA season, looking at the Celtics, Sixers, Lakers, Clippers, and much more. Then Will Morgan shares his player to watch in fantasy football in this week's edition of Will's Fantasy Footballers. Then we have Grant Wall, Sports Illustrated soccer writer and New York Times best-selling author, with his take on the North Carolina Courage and their 4-0 NWSL championship win, Blacko Andonovsky's announcement as the new head coach for the U.S. Women's National Team, and the MLS Cup. And in our Positive Vibes Only segment, it's Ralph Graves Jr. The author, motivational speaker, pastor, and inspiration gets into his journey, some positive messages, and his work as a game changer for those around him. To close the show this week from Los Angeles, it's soul and hip-hop musician Indigo Monet. So I hope you're all ready for another episode of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington here on Fox Sports 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes, and Google Play. It's showtime. It's time to go beyond the headlines Cause I don't put in overtime just so I can headline Okay, now it's Fox Sports, I'm live with Renee Going hard every day, sports rapping every play Different segments for your favorites Coming at you daily with positive vibes Yeah, we some game changers Basketball, football, soccer With different interviews, you never know who may pop up Listen, only on Beyond the Headlines This is Beyond the Headlines <laughs> Only on Beyond the Headlines This is Beyond the Headlines <laughs> Only on Beyond the Headlines. This is Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. The NBA 2019-2020 season is here. And joining us on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington to get into what we've seen from the opening games and tip-off is Jared White, NBA writer for The Athletics, specifically working with the Boston Celtics. Jared, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Glad to have you here, and I'm excited to hear your takes on what you've seen so far in the start of the NBA season. Let's start up in Boston. The Celtics have had a great start. As we've seen, Kemba Walker has not disappointed in his start with the, se- with the team. We see a lot of youth really coming in, making an impact. Carson Edwards, Taco Fall, really grabbing the attention of fans. Of course, Jason Tatum being another one that's expected coming back, you know, having another year under his belt. So, what are your initial takeaways from the Celtics that you've seen so far? Most recently, they beat the Knicks, which the 0-3 Knicks, maybe not as much of a surprise there, but just in general, your <laughs> initial takeaways from the Celtics. <laughs> yeah, beating the Knicks isn't a surprise for most teams in the yeah. NBA. Um, you know, I think what was a good sign for them is that it wasn't that much of a blowout early on, and then they kind of got their separation in the second half. And most good teams, if you look around the league, they tend to really get their separation in the second half. And... Sometimes it's just a matter of not really maybe showing up with your full energy that you need for each game right away and kind of figuring out at halftime. But the Celtics have been getting stronger in the second half. It's pretty much each one of these games so far this year. So that's been pretty good for them. Um, they, you know, Kemba Walker was terrible in those first two games. He was dominant in his return back to New York, and I think that's obviously the first thing that they're looking for is to make sure that their star player that they're building their offense primarily around is able to carry the load of that. And, uh, you know, it's not like Kemba Walker forgot how to score after, you know, a couple of weeks in Japan and China this year. You know, he's, he's back to being who he is. And then Jason Tatum looks like he's taken a big step forward. Jalen Brown looks like he's taken a step forward. And Gordon Hayward looks like he's pretty much 
back to where they hoped he would be. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some signs that he's not as explosive as he was before the injury and some of the ways that he was able to create separation or explode past the defender. But for him, his game is mostly about craftiness and shiftiness and quick reactions. And he uh, he's still able to do most of what makes him great. And so he's been playing pretty well so far. So there really hasn't been any major weaknesses that they've shown, except for obviously just the, the terrible shooting and just overall terrible offense they had against Philadelphia in the opening game. Um, but they're still figuring out their center position, and Grant Williams is the rookie out of Tennessee who is wise beyond his years on and off the court and has just been so good so far in some really interesting matchups for him. So I'm excited to see how, how that looks against Milwaukee later this week, who's going to be a really big test for them. Yeah, yeah. Now, you you bring up some great points in the fact that we are seeing the Celtics, you know, players that are returning, Gordon Hayward being one, who's getting back to what he was before that gruesome injury, you know, Jason Tatum coming back and having more experience, more confidence, and and you can see that in the way he's playing, Jalen Brown, another one. But this is a team that last year, going into the season, was predicted with Kyrie Irving, and after the season they had had before with Kyrie out with a knee injury in the postseason, to be the top team in the East. They disappointed. They did not live up to that expectation. So do you think now with Kemba Walker as the new leader in general of this team, bringing in some youth, that this is a team that can win the Eastern Conference? I know it's October, but <laughs> based on what you've seen in, in these first few games that they've had, you know, what are your initial postseason predictions for, for how far they can go? Of course, if injuries or, or nothing drastic changes the look of this team. Yeah, I mean, this the, the league is open enough this year that a team like Boston, who's got almost everything the contending core would need, but not quite everything, still has the chance to pretty much go as far as they want. Um, you know, I still think Milwaukee and Philadelphia are on their own tier in the Eastern Conference, and I haven't seen anything so far this year to make me think that that isn't the case. And those are flawed teams as well. Their flaws probably aren't as important as the Celtics' flaws, but... Boston's finding a way to get around them, and Brad Stevens has always been great at figuring out what's the weakness of his team and figuring out a way to kind of cover up for that and, you know, uh, uh, provide as much support and pressure from around it in order to cover up for whatever that hole is. And so, you know, so far, they're concerned about, how you know, how do they find a good two-way player at the five because they have a ton of players who are good on one side of the ball or good at one thing or another at the five. They, they seem to have found a solution in Grant Williams, and the huge question is, is that sustainable? You know, Grant's a rookie. Grant is going to, and Grant didn't have to guard Joel Embiid in that first game. You know, he guarded Marcus Soule, they guarded Mitchell Robinson, he guarded, I think, Julius Randle as well. Like, those guys are all really good, but they're just not Joel Embiid. And so what do you do when you go up against a team with a dominant center like Embiid or Denver or Minnesota? You know, there's so many teams that have elite centers now that can hurt you everywhere on the floor. So... I think that's the big question that determines whether or not they really are a championship team. Uh, but they have the offensive potential to do it. And it looks like all their wings are taking a step forward from where they were last year at being scorers mm-hmm. and distributors. And then, you know, Temple Walker is, he's not quite as remarkable and not quite as dynamic as Kyrie is, but he's, he's I think he's proving that he or he probably will prove over the course of the year that from a leadership perspective and balancing the offense that I think he's going to be a better fit and you know there's there's some areas where he's better than Kyrie and there's some areas where Kyrie is better but 
I think the areas where he's better than Kyrie are probably going to prove to be more valuable to this team in the way that they're built. And so I think he's going to be an upgrade for them over what Kyrie gave them the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I think that's something that, you know, we definitely saw last year with Kyrie that he, given his, his resume, having won an NBA championship and been an, NBA, MB, an MVP for the NBA All-Star game a couple years back, you know, he, going into the Celtics, wanting to have his own identity, everyone predicted that he would just take them and, and run and take them to the next level. But as you mentioned with Kemba Walker, he's a talent in himself. He's just a different kind of talent. You know, he's a, he's a better fit, in my opinion, with the Celtics than what Kyrie was in the past. And I think that in itself, along with having some new pieces to the puzzle, a tremendous coach in Brad Stevens, you know, they are a team that, although I, don't, I agree with you and I don't think that they're ready to and able to beat the Sixers and the Bucks in a best-of-seven series, I do think they're going to be a team that's at least right there competing for that, either the, you know, the Eastern Conference championship or semifinals, whatever it may be. They're going to give you a run for their money. You know, and it's, that's, that's the thing that I'd hate to match up with in the playoffs. I think the most interesting question, I want to get your take on this, is you know, the Celtics, so if they're not quite at that tier with Philadelphia and Milwaukee, are they down to the tier with a bunch of other teams, or are they somewhere between those two? Yeah, I think they're definitely somewhere in between. And I, and I would say they are they're right there on the brink of being better than the Sixers and, and the Bucks. but I agree that they're just missing a piece. You know, you talk about the Sixers with Joel Embiid, with Ben Simmons, the Bucks, with Giannis. You know, Kemba can, is definitely going to step in and be the leader of this team, but are they going to be able to, to be consistent enough, which is a big part of it, and be able to have the right players step up in crunch time? You know, it's going to be a lot on Kemba, but you're going to need more than just one guy. And I think that's a big thing we've seen this past year with the change of the NBA and the way that some of the, you know, the off-season changes mix up the team. You now need to have two go-to guys. You know, you need to have two all-stars, two guys that, you know, how we see in, in L.A. with the Clippers, with Kawhi and Paul George. You've got LeBron and A.D. You know, you need two guys that you can run through. And I think that the Bucks are going to struggle at times figuring that out, but Giannis is one of the best players in the league, so he makes up for that. He just needs someone else to step up. But Kemba is not in that top top five, top ten category of players in the league right now. And so who is, who's going to be number two? And I think that is where they would drop off in a best-of-seven series because you have to have him healthy, strong the entire time, you know, the entire game through. He's got to, you know, put on a remarkable performance and everyone around him has to be playing their best game, in my opinion, to be able to be a team like the Sixers or the Bucks. Just my thoughts, but, I'm, you know, we'll see what happens. So you did mention for the Sixers, for, for one, as one team that we've been talking about, if you get a chance to see them play without Joel Embiid and they went over Detroit, you know, they did work on strengthening one of their weaknesses in the past, which was not having Joel Embiid on the court at times, and now bringing in Al Horford and different players they now have strength in an area that was a weakness. But so moving to the West, because we talked enough about the East. <laughs> I think it just, mm-hmm. it just comes down to those three teams of the East, so we'll move on from that. In the West, also getting into some teams that we really have been keeping an eye on, the Warriors, for one. The defending Western Conference champs. The dynasty is definitely over. Um, we saw them lose. Oof. We saw them lose to the Thunder earlier this week when they were down by as many as 42 at times. I mean, are you surprised at all that they have dropped in these first initial games that, you know, of course, dropped so far that they just look like a complete 
opposite team right now at times, offensively, and just all aspects. It's funny. I I thought coming into the year that this, that they were going to be a surprise contender, and it's a really small sample size, so it's too early to try to rule them out. But looking at them right now, I don't think I appreciated how their rotation was going to look. With the, just, mm. but they've they've always struggled over the past few years as they've tried to scrap together a championship team while being deep into the luxury tax. That they haven't really had anybody that can contribute offensively on their own that can create scoring. And right now, they just have nobody outside of Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell that can reliably create scoring. And that's really killing them. I mean, their offense is really struggling. And Draymond is not playing that well right now. And he said that they effing sucked on the last game after the last game. And, uh, it, it's, it, it's true. It, it's <laughs> it is true. true and it's very on brand for Draymond to talk like that. And I, I hope that that, w- I hope that serves as a wake-up call for them. And you can always count on him to be the guy that provides that wake-up call. But he... Um, I, I don't know how they get over the fact that they only have two guys on the team that can really create their own shot very well, and then summon the Draymond, who's a great playmaker and one of the best in his position ever in the game, and still is effective. But like, does it? He's not really a go-to scorer. You can't really run a ton of different sets to try to get him scoring, and he's not. He hasn't been shooting the ball well for the past couple of years, so it's like they're really struggling to find that. And that's a place where they really miss Andre Iguodala, where. Iguodala was definitely struggling to score in the last year or so as he's gotten older, but he's still somebody that you can really trust with the ball, and and also is a really good spot up shooter. And that you know having to get rid of him in order to maneuver their cap situation this year, that's really really showing how much it hurts them. So they desperately want to get Thompson back this year. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it was very surprising. I know we we expected them not to be the same team we saw in the past. Of course, you know once. Of course, Kevin Durant was hurt in general, but once he was traded, we knew the, the future was going to change. And then with Clay Thompson being injured, you know, everyone was quick to say, well, it's still, they still have Clay and, and Steph. It's like, they don't have Clay right now. <laughs> Clay is on the roster. Clay is not on the court. We don't know how he'll be when he gets back. Hopefully, he comes back 100% strong. And, it's, you know, you hate to see a player come back and their game drop. We don't know how he's going to come back. And then we also see them without Kevin Looney and Willie Cauley Stein. And, they don't have the inside presence. They don't have the offensive starting side, as you mentioned, um, from D'Angelo Russell and Steph. So it's like, this is a whole different team that we're seeing. <laughs> very, very and, shocking. And, and you mentioned the two guys that they're missing are centers that don't score the ball. They're, you know, they're pick-and-roll right. centers who are defensive mm-hmm. specialists. So it's not like there's more reinforcements coming, and they're going to have to hope they can make some sort of trade. Um, and... and to your point about Clay, when Clay comes back, you know, he's coming back off of a torn ACL. It's like he's not going to mm-hmm. be himself. The one saving grace is that Clay Thompson, most of what he does is he's a stationary shooter who is deadly catching and shooting. So, I mean, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say most of what he does, because most of what he does is he runs around and drives people crazy and then he catches and shoots. <laughs> but he can still just be a deadly spot-up shooter standing for the most part and not needing to necessarily run people ragged. So if there's anyone that can handle returning from an ACL injury, I think he would be one of the best bets. Yeah, for sure. Should be interesting. I know everyone's like, well, once he gets back, it'll be different. But that's that's deep into the season, and there are no guarantees. So we'll see what happens there. But we have also been seeing some excitement from the Western Conference, um, specifically in L.A. with the Clippers and the Lakers. Of course, that was an exciting showdown between them to start off the season. But since then, you know, we've we've been seeing – the Lakers and Clippers live up to the, ho- to the hype so far. 
Um, one play that I want to get into, though, of course, we, everyone and their mom is talking about LeBron James and Anthony Davis, Kawhi and Paul George, but there are some other players that are really standing out to me, the role players. You look at Dwight Howard, um, Danny Green. What, have you, what are your initial takeaways from their uh, looking at the Lakers, their start to the season? I mean, I know it's only been a few games, but we have to analyze every single game as if it's been way more than that. What are your initial takeaways from Dwight Howard's return to, to L.A. and kind of what the role players are bringing to the Lakers? Although it's never too early to make grand declarations about the Lakers <laughs> as part of the territory. Um, the, the thing I've been most excited about is Dwight Howard is looking really, he's completely different for one. And I, I just talked about this on my show this morning, but I remember standing in the back of the stadium at Summer League in Vegas and Dwight Howard walked by me. And I thought I've seen Dwight probably a dozen times in my life, if not more up close. And, he walks by me, and I'm looking at him, and you know when you just you haven't seen the person in a long time, and they look really different, and they walk by mm. you, and your brain, the back of your brain is telling you it's that person, but your but your eyes are telling you it's somebody else. And I had that. I'm staring at him. I'm like, that's Dwight, right? And, and like he yeah. just he looked physically, he looked like he cut himself in half. It was crazy. He looked so oh, much wow. skinnier. And I don't know if it shows up on TV, but in person, he looks so much skinnier. And then he's got, uh, like, the two big braids going now, which is a very mm-hmm. different hairstyle from what he's had in the past. I, like, couldn't even recognize him. And you watch him on the court, and he kind of looks rejuvenated out there. He's moving with purpose. He's moving light-footed. He's playing really good defense. He's playing like he has his antennae up, which he has not played that way for a while. He's kind of really just doing a lot of stat padding. When he was in Charlotte the last uh, last year, right. two years ago yeah. actually, didn't even play last year. So it's it's amazing to see how different he looks. He looks like kind of what you would expect to see of a former MVP caliber player who's kind of on the downslope of their career, but still has a lot to offer. And so I'm excited to see how that transforms over the course of the season because it, you know the truth is. That team is designed so that Anthony Davis plays center when it really counts. But Anthony Davis mm-hmm. does not like playing center. And he's one that, it's frustrating because you want him to play center because he's the perfect center right. in the modern NBA. But he won't do it. And you know what? It's took a huge bet on Dwight. And right now it's looking incredible because Dwight is doing everything that Anthony Davis wants the center next to him to be doing. It gives Anthony room to roam. They still need to figure out how to use Anthony the best, but it's looking like combining LeBron and AD is going to be like this unbelievable pairing at a level that probably not even Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can give you because it's just something, it's just two guys that are just unstoppable relative to their position in a way that we haven't seen before. Yeah, and I think that's something I keep going back to. So touching quickly on Dwight Howard, I do think not only has his jersey number changed and his look changed, but you do get a different vibe from him. You know, you see him, whether it's on the court in pick and rolls with LeBron or he get, he's giving you a balanced stat line. He's also getting the crowd into it. He, he did the uh, what looks like the Dikembe Mutombo finger wag after a block. Like he's, he is like a whole different lighter Dwight Howard. Drama-free, stress-free, looks like he's just out there enjoying playing, which is what, we, what you wanted from him once he came into L.A. But then also you look at A.D. and LeBron, everybody was kind of assuming, and, and still is to this day, and I'm a LeBron fan, diehard LeBron fan, so I always feel like I'm defending him when they say the Clippers are going to, without a doubt, be the best team in the NBA. And you can't, as you mentioned, you can't go without addressing the fact that these are two six, eight, six, nine and taller guys that are agile, can play all positions, can shoot, can get to the basket, can rebound. 
I mean, they can do it all. And who's, who's going to be able to match up with them when you have two of them on the floor? And now you have Dwight Howard. You have Danny Green playing great defense and knocking down shots. You know, you have all these other pieces around them as long as they can stay healthy. So I'm, I'm thrilled. Of course, I'm a Lakers fan because I'm a LeBron fan by, you know, <laughs> by definition, Lakers fan. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love what I'm watching. And even with the Clippers, it's great to see them. You know, they've always had players in the past. You look at, like, a Patrick Beverly, they've been the underdogs, and now to have Kawhi and Paul George in that mix, they kind of now, well, they, not kind of, they have completely turned around to be one of the best teams in the league. So I'm happy with them to have that success, too. So do you They're have any team teams? That, Go ahead. I should say that the Clippers, what's so great about them is they're a team that is very steadily built towards getting where they've gotten to, just like how Houston did a few years ago. It's, mm-hmm. really, it's really rewarding as someone who cares about the game to see a team put together a long-term plan that seems very ambitious and be able to steadily execute on it. And a Clipper, exactly. the build that the Clippers did is pretty incredible. It really contrasts to how the Lakers did it, where the Lakers basically just kind of took a huge swing and somehow managed to land it. <laughs> exactly. They have, and, you know, Doc Rivers is a, a tremendous coach, and they're a team that I'm happy to see them be successful because they did do things the right way. Yeah, that's exactly it. They were the only team that was able to beat the Warriors at full strength last year in the playoffs, and they already had a lot of the pieces in place. You bring in a couple big-name top players in the, in the league right now with Kawhi and Paul George, they deserve it. Same thing with the Rockets. I mean, we finally got to see what Russell Westbrook and James Harden look like together. And what are your initial takeaways from that duo as everyone's been questioning how they would play together? And we've got to see the Rockets, and they're fun team to watch. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I think is going to take all season for them to figure out. It's definitely pretty clunky of a fit right now. Uh, and it was a – I think that trade was more about getting out of the, the later years on Chris Paulfield than anything because they paid a pretty huge price for a player that – I'm not sure how much more effective he is than, or maybe how much more valuable he is than Chris Paul right now this year. Uh, I think Chris Paul will be very valuable if he's healthy, but Russell Westbrook is such a difficult player to pair with another ball-dominant player like Harden. And, you know, Durant was different because Durant just didn't have the ball in his hands as much as Harden did. But, like, Houston's whole system really is predicated on Harden having the ball on 90% of possessions, and they need to adjust that. Now, if you have someone like Westbrook that can get into the teeth of the defense at an elite level the way that Harden can and he's able to kick it out to Harden, then in theory that should make them extremely deadly. And that's kind of what the whole point of the balance between Harden and Chris Paul is supposed to be. The problem is just that Russell Westbrook, when he's out on the ball, he's a difficult player to make useful against a lot of really good defenses. He usually finds a way to do it because he's so hyper-aggressive and he's such a great putter, but it's still harder to become valuable as a cutter who doesn't really shoot the ball well than just a guy that could be out there and shoot the ball well. So it's going to take them a while to figure it out, but they have the coach to pull it off. And, you know, there's been a lot made of some of the kind of aggressive conversations they've had on the court. Like, those two guys are brothers who, you know, brothers fight all the time. Those are guys that have a deep history, have been friends for a long time, and are super competitive and confrontational. So I don't think that that's going to be a situation where it blows up. I think that's going to be a situation where they're able to try to work it out long term. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that their strength is all, is, and their weakness of having in the past being confrontational, they're two guys that can handle it. You know, they'll, they'll balance each other out. They'll keep each other in check. Um, but something that I really have noticed 
when I'm watching the NBA in these opening games, it to me looks like a video game. You know, like when you play 2K or something, you change players around, change teams around, you know, you're stacking your team, you're playing against – so it doesn't look real yet. Like it still hasn't sunk in that, okay, Russ Westbrook, for instance, wow, he's with the Rockets or Anthony Davis with the Lakers. It just looks – it still looks odd to see these players playing together. But there have been some surprises in the new look NBA and, and some exciting – you know, finishes and things like that as we're watching how these teams unfold. I know Jay Crowder just finished with a three-pointer, left the, the Grizzlies over the Nets by one in overtime. I mean, every single game so far, regardless if it's a blowout, like the Warriors getting blown out by the Thunder, it, has its, it, it still has its draw because, A, the NBA is back, and, B, we're finally getting to see how these teams unfold. Do you have any, any games or any players, maybe a rookie that came into this that's, you know, been playing well or, or less than expected, that you've seen in these initial games to start off the season? Well, I mean, just going to that Jake Crowder reference you just made, John Morant was the star of that game. That was a battle between Memphis and Brooklyn where John Morant was probably outplaying Kyrie Irving in the fourth quarter in overtime. Morant even shut down Irving and blocked his uh, shot on the attempted game winner at the end of regulation. And so it was really exciting to see Morant really finds his footing in his third, I think it was his third game of his career, uh, being hyper-aggressive, where he's very Westbrook-like in the way that he just can launch himself at the basket from far out. Maybe even John Wall's a better comparison. But he is just a freak athlete, a really creative finisher, a really creative passer. But his defense has been like his major liability and the major question as to how valuable of a player he can be. And, you know, he still is going to have a lot to learn, let's say. But the fact that he could lock on the Kyrie and that, you know, Kyrie has been already making fools of people in crunch time in his first couple games of the season, crossing people up and mm-hmm. leaving them the best. And to smother him like that and, and be able to stuff his shot, it shows that Morant could be a really effective on-ball defender and maybe eventually, you know, be a great two-way player. Because the offensive talent he has is, you know, all NBA-level capabilities. So Morant is going to be the guy to watch with uh, Zion out for the first couple months of the season. That rookie of the year race is going to be really different. It's going to be really, really tight. You know, I, I teed it up hoping you would talk about John Morant because if you didn't, I was going to talk about him anyways, but I could not agree more. That was such a breakout game for him. And to see him have, I mean, of course he, he was tremendous throughout the entire game, but in key moments to get that block to force overtime, to get the game-winning assist, you know, this is a, a player that in March Madness, when he was playing at, at Murray State, we saw how talented he is. We saw his potential. But you're always unsure of how a player is going to translate to, in the next level. How is their game going to elevate and, and progress to be able to, to compete in the NBA? And he, without a doubt right now, definitely already has his name in the category for that Rookie of the Year race and as a player to watch. So it's, it's, I love seeing the quote-unquote underdogs, you know, the, the players that come from those smaller colleges, the Purdue's, the Murray State's, that you maybe don't even expect to be able to get to the NBA and do well, and they actually defy all odds and do that and more. So, yes, I could not well, agree hey, per- more. Per- Purdue, at least, is a major conference team. Murray yeah. State, I don't even know what conference they're in. I mean, that's a real <laughs> stretch to come out of Murray State. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, he's putting them on the map, and he's showing that it was no fluke what he did on the college level because he is a great player, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he does this year. So, Jared, thank you so much for joining the show. Where can our listeners follow you on social media to keep up with your articles and your your NBA coverage? 
Sure, you can find me, Jared Weiss, MBA, on uh, Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to The Athletic. You can read all my stuff there and listen to my podcast there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to an exciting NBA season, and I appreciate you joining us on the show this week to dive into your takeaways from the first couple games. So thank you. For sure. That was a lot of fun. everyone, it's your host Renee here, just reminding you that at the end of this episode, episode 17 of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington, musician Indigo Monet will be closing the show. She's originally from New York, now living in LA, where her captivating music is spreading a message of love and self-awareness. She started on the underground scene making a mix of soul and hip-hop, and now, with her latest song Energy and the video that was recently released, I can guarantee you, you will see just why her audience is growing and she's becoming a household name. Be sure to give her a follow on Instagram at Indigo Monet and on Twitter at Indigo Monet with an underscore at the end. That's Indigo Monet from LA and she's bringing us energy at the end of this show. All right, time to get back to the show. Before we get into Will Morgan's fantasy player to watch in this week's edition of Will's Fantasy Footballs on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington, just to recap some other results from around the NFL in week eight. Thursday, the Vikings got things started, finishing with just one touchdown. Dan Bailey kicked for four field goals in Minnesota's 19-9 win over the Redskins. Then we saw the 49ers roll through the Panthers in a dominant 51-13 win as they advanced to 7-0 on the season. Aaron Rodgers threw for three touchdowns as the Green Bay Packers got a seven-point win over the Kansas City Chiefs. We saw the Browns return from a bye week, unable to hand the Patriots their first loss as Tom Brady connected with Julian Edelman twice in the 14-point win over the Cleveland Browns. And then the Eagles, my Eagles, advanced to 500 on the season back in the win column after beating the Buffalo Bills, 31-13. to And then Thursday night, we saw the Steelers close out the week with a 13-point victory over the winless Miami Dolphins. So now it is time to get into our fantasy player to watch as we get into week 9 action. Starting Thursday night with the 49ers taking on the Cardinals at 8.20 p.m. Eastern Time. So, Will Morgan, who is your player to watch this week in Will's Fantasy Footballers? Thank you, Renee, and congratulations on your Philadelphia Eagles getting that big win against the Buffalo Bills. Hello, everyone. My name is William D. Morgan, and welcome back to another installment of Will's Fantasy Footballers. Hey, I got two guys. You can use this stack in FanDuel. You can use this stack in DraftKings. There's two guys I like this week. First, Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, and, of course, his running mate, Chris Carson, running back also for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, these guys balled out this week against the Atlanta Falcons. Russell Wilson was 14 of 20, 182 yards, and two TDs. Chris Carson followed that up, 20 carries, 90 yards, and one touchdown. Now, this week, they have the Tampa Bay defense. That Bucks defense is putrid, guys. Looking at 19th versus the run, 23rd versus the pass, and 18th overall. So, your Seattle Seahawks should be able to get you some good production. 10-team leagues, FanDuel, DraftKings, these guys should do wonders for you this week. Renee, again, congratulations on your Philadelphia Eagles win against the Buffalo Bills. And I'll see you guys next week. Everyone, have a great week and take care.
This is beyond the headline. Yeah, it is. Go. <laughs> the NWSL champion was crowned. A new U.S. Women's National Team head coach was announced. And we are in the midst of the MLS Cup. So to talk all things soccer with me on this episode of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington, we've got Grant Wall, sports illustrator, soccer and football writer, and a New York Times best-selling author. So Grant, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Renee. I am thrilled to have you here because it's an exciting time for soccer right now, and a lot is going on. We'll start in the NWSL. The North Carolina Courage win again. And did they win in, in my goodness, what, the biggest margin of a championship game in the league, 4-0. They win that over Chicago. And just signed, field delivered. They showed why they're the best team in the league yet again, and they walk away with it. And you were, ha- you were able to be there for the win, for the game, and cover it. So... Were you a little bit surprised by the result? I mean, they scored four minutes in, and they never looked back. Yeah, I was surprised that that North Carolina won by so much and so easily. I mean, the game was essentially over at halftime when it was 3 nothing. Crystal Dunn scored right before halftime. And these two teams, Chicago and North Carolina, had played each other three times this season, and North Carolina did not win a single game of those three games during the regular season. So it seemed like Chicago had sort of figured out how to match up well against North Carolina, but not in this game. Uh, You know, this was uh, an early goal by Dabinia, who was the MVP of the final for North Carolina, put them up early, and they really just dominated the entire game. Sam Kerr, the, the great goal scorer for Chicago, was basically marked out of the game, didn't really get any mm-hmm. good chances, and uh, it ended up being just an easy victory for North Carolina. It's their second straight championship in the NWSL, and, and they really dominated the league. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot is to be said when you are getting ready to prepare for a championship game or just a playoff game in general. You know, you go in, you have your scouting report, you're getting hyped up, and then four minutes in before you can even catch your breath, you're down one nothing, and you're chasing the game the entire time. And you could even see as the game was going on, you know, listen there, look defeated. You could see that the face, the body language and facial expression start, start to change as Chicago realized not only are we chasing this game uphill the entire time from the opening whistle almost, it's out of reach by the time they, as you mentioned, got to halftime. Down 2-0, that's, that's hard to overcome, especially when North Carolina had just so many things going right for them in the game. And so yeah. watching that, go ahead. No, I, I, I just think it was really impressive. This is the way North Carolina has played, the identity they've developed, which is they are absolutely relentless. Every single player on that team uh, goes full throttle the entire game, and, and they play that way when they're on uh, defense. Uh, everyone is pressing to get the ball back as quickly as possible, and they play that way in the attack. And it was kind of crazy to see some of the Chicago players were bent over exhausted in the first half just from having to play that way uh, against North Carolina. And and that had a lot to do with explaining how good North Carolina is in this league. Yeah, I think it definitely said a lot when you have, you know, we get to the championship and it's just one team that's completely dominant. You know, they completely came, handled business, and as as you touched on, Chicago just couldn't keep up. You know, they were, they, they were outmatched in that game, which is a lot to be said when they win one every single game in the regular season. 
So this is a game that we saw over 10,000 in attendance. It was, it was, it was exciting to see all the, um, the buildup and the commotion and people on social media talking about it. As we've been talking about throughout the show over the course of the women's season and some of our guests we had on earlier on in the season about the change of the game. And we'll touch on the U.S. women's national team in a moment. But, I mean, for you having followed women's, you know, you're following men's and women's soccer, but looking at this game in particular and just kind of the atmosphere from the moment they sent the smoke in the air, which was quite a chaos in itself, <laughs> and the players came out on the field, you know, the environment. Can you touch on that a little bit for those of us that were not fortunate to be there like you were? Well, it was just a really good atmosphere. And obviously North Carolina was hosting the finals, so you knew that there would be a good crowd, but, you know, for it to be a sellout crowd of 10,000, in excess of 10,000, uh, you really felt like you were at, at a big event. And, you know, women's soccer, as far as a professional league in the U.S., has, you know, had its challenges over the years to establish itself. They've had two separate leagues that folded. Uh, but now this league, the NWSL, uh, has been around since 2013. And you really did feel this year like this league is, is going to be here to stay, that it's not in a position where it's going to fold like the previous leagues have. And part of that's due to the success the U.S. women's national team has had winning their second straight World Cup. Uh, and it helped bring more sponsors in this season, better TV coverage in the second half of the season. And there's some real momentum behind the NWSL right now that we haven't seen uh, as much in the past. You know, there's going to be more teams coming into the league, at least one mm -hmm. team next year, probably Sacramento, to bring it to 10 teams from nine. And then you've got several other teams looking to come in in 21 and 22. So things are moving in the right direction. Uh, and you need to have uh, a sustainable women's professional league if you want to uh, continue having the U.S. national team be as good as it's been. Yeah, yeah, I could not agree more. And I'm, I'm excited to watch the direction that the league is moving. I know something that was a big deciding factor when I did step away from the NWSL and decide not to play was the fact that it, it wasn't where it needed to be and it wasn't sustainable for, for career and for things like that, in, in my opinion, at the time. So fast forward five years later, it's great to see how much it has grown and, and you know, the momentum that women's soccer is picking up on the back mm -hmm. of back-to-back -back World Cup championships. So perfect segue, because we do have a new U.S. Women's National Team head coach, and it was announced Monday that Vlako Andonovsky, excuse me, tongue twister there, will be the U.S. Women's National Team head coach. The former or recently named NWSL Coach of the Year steps into the position and ha comes highly recommended by players like Megan Rapino. So... Your initial thoughts when you heard the, the news, I know they, they had put out an announcement that it was going to be finalized Monday, and you were anxiously waiting for that, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I went to the uh, presentation press conference here in New York City for Vladko Andonovsky, and uh, it was interesting to hear more about what he's about. He's a coach who has had a lot of success in the NWSL. He won two championships when he was with FC Kansas City. And then when that team folded, he went to Seattle and joined Rain FC um, with that team up there and was the NWSL Coach of the Year this season with Rain FC, got a lot out of a team that was missing a lot of players with injuries and World Cup absences. 
And just like you said, he comes highly recommended by U.S. national team players who have worked closely with him at club level. When he was at Kansas City, he uh, coached Becky Sauerbrunn, who's obviously a, a big figure on the U.S. women's team. Uh, in uh, you know, with Rain FC he, for the last two years, he's coached Megan Rapino, who says very positive things about him. I have yet to find anybody say anything bad about Black Andonovsky, and that's a pretty rare thing in uh, in the world of soccer when basically everyone he's come into contact with says uh, this guy makes players better, he has a good soccer mind, uh, he manages people well, and so we'll have to wait and see now how he does it on the international stage. You know, one a couple things he hasn't had to deal with in the past are the the real media glare that comes with being associated with the U.S. women's national team, and he hasn't coached at the international level yet. But uh, when you come with those recommendations from you know, stars on the U.S. women's national team, they clearly think that he has what it takes to, to be a mm-hmm. success coaching this U.S. women's team. So there's obviously going to be a lot of pressure, but I was pretty impressed uh, you know, from what I saw today here in New York. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely think the fact that he had so many players recommending him and speaking so highly of him, it, it speaks volumes to what he can bring to this program. I mean, for Vlako Andonofsky stepping into this role to replace the gigantic shoes of Jill Ellis, who we know has taken this team leaps and bounds beyond the success they were before her, her tenure and being the winningest coach in women's soccer history and for him being the first man to coach the team since 2014, but more importantly coming into the program that has won back-to-back World Cups and has had international success year after year, you know, what's next? And I think that's something that a lot of people have been curious about because They've already set the bar so high. How do you how do you maintain that? And that's his, for him to come in and have to maintain and keep up that success. I mean, what do you think he's going to bring to this program as a fresh face, as a as a fresh background and perspective, where he already has the rapport with the players and now can step in and hopefully continue that success? I mean, if you're Black Wojnarowski, what's what's your game plan stepping in as head coach? Yeah, I mean, this is a huge challenge here. I, you know. The Olympics are next summer, and it's worth pointing out that no team that has ever won a Women's World Cup has gone on the next year to win the Olympic gold medal. That's a good And point. so there's a real challenge there of achieving something that hasn't been done before, and so I think that will drive him, that will drive his players. Um, but uh, it's not going to be easy, and... Uh, he does have something going for him that he has the support of his players. And so that hasn't always been the case for various U.S. coaches over the years. Um, but, you know, what is being said, at least, is that Andonovsky is very good when it comes to having uh, a team that is, um, you know, sturdy defensively. You know, he himself was a player back in the day, and he was a defender, so he, he knows that aspect of the game very well. Uh, but his teams also you know, have an identity uh, that they're hard to play against, that they also mm-hmm. attack uh, with real creativity. You know, that part of the U.S.'s game I don't think needs a lot of improvement because, I mean, they score a lot of goals. Um, you know, maybe defensively there is a sense that they could have stand for some improvement. Um, but 
you know, the contract that Andonovsky has signed includes not just the Olympics, but World Cup 2023. So this is a long-term contract. And so he's going to have to balance getting a win at the Olympics, which is a huge challenge, with also trying to introduce some new players, some young players. And, um, you know, seeing how he negotiates that balance while also – uh, using some of the, the storied players, veterans on that team, while also phasing out some other ones, uh, his man management skills are going to get tested here. So I, I think it's going to be very interesting to follow this team moving forward. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. And I know that just looking at this past summer, this past season in the NWSL, I love the direction that women's soccer is moving, as I touched on before. And I think you know, now maybe not the worst time to bring in a new head coach. You know, a lot of people are saying he's got big shoes to fill. It's, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to keep up with the success that Joe Ellis had as head coach. But I think almost the opposite. You know, it's a great time. I think everyone on the U.S. women's national team and, and their supporters around the country, we're all feeling and believing that this is a special, it's a special group. So for him to now be able to come in and start to work towards building the foundation of what's next, once players that are a little older – like Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapinoe, those types of players start to, to phase out and retire. Okay, who's going to be who's going to be next on the national team? So I actually think it's a it's a great opportunity, and as you mentioned, a challenge to now maybe make a new record, make make history where it hasn't you know where where we haven't seen a team win the Olympics. Who knows? Could be the first one. So I'm looking forward to it. But also on the men's side, we are in the midst of the MLS Cup. And so I love the, this overlap of all the seasons, you know, all the sports. It's like every, every time you turn on your TV, there's always a game on, and it's always an exciting game mm -hmm. to watch. So we do know, you know, as of the time this show airs, Wednesday, you know, we have already had the LAFC Seattle conference final matchup, and then Wednesday evening it's Atlanta versus Toronto. From what you've seen so far in the MLS Cup, I mean, what have been your initial takeaways or any surprises that you've seen through the first couple rounds? You know, I've really enjoyed the MLS playoffs. I always do, but mm -hmm. I think the format that they've instituted this year is the best playoff format they've ever had. It's uh, Every game is an elimination game, so there's no two-legged uh, playoff situations anymore. And in previous years, I would get frustrated watching the first leg of a two-legged playoff because it seemed right. like not much happened <laughs> in those first 90 minutes <laughs> and you were left waiting for another week. Um, and, you know, in these single elimination games, you know, the higher seed is the home team, and, and they've earned that with, you know, over 34 games of the regular season. So I feel like this playoff format, values the regular season more than the previous one did, and that's good too. And, and so what we've seen are games where there's desperation soccer, which to me is very entertaining soccer. Uh, we've seen it played at a high level, and we tend to have seen the home team win, not in every case. So like Toronto upset NYCFC, the top seed in the East. Yeah. Um, and, but you know the, we haven't seen that many away teams winning. So um, I feel like it's the right balance of entertainment, of valuing the regular season, and of just you know, good soccer. I, I feel like even if you're not an MLS fan, the MLS playoffs, but you're a soccer fan, the MLS playoffs are, are pretty fun to watch, and especially so this year 
Um, you know, we saw LAFC, which is the best team in the regular season, uh, finally beat their crosstown rival, LA Galaxy, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, in the last round. And, you know, I've watched every one of these MLS playoff games this year, and honestly, there, there hasn't been a bad one at all. And, yeah. you know... Yeah, that's kind of crazy to say because uh, soccer sometimes gives you games that you know don't fulfill the expectation. But um, these MLS playoffs have delivered, and I feel like you know looking at, at the final four um, that these are the four teams that should be there. Yeah, I know a lot of conversations I've had around the change in the playoff format to single elimination games versus the two-legged games have been exactly what you touched on. It just it makes it so that the tactics aren't as much as being the best in, in two games. Now you have to win and go home. You know, now it's all or nothing. It's down to that 90 minutes or, or more than 90 minutes, of course. There's overtime mm-hmm. or anything like we've seen, but it makes it, you now have to just play to win. You win or go home. That's it. And with soccer and, and you know, we, we always have games, and even as you're we talking about with the courage, where maybe it is maybe one-sided or something, but we haven't seen that every single game. Even a game that was, you know, a bigger goal margin, like we saw in the first round, it didn't happen until later in the game. You know, every mm-hmm. single game had something exciting, and it was intense, and you can see the emotions being put on the field. And so my question for you is, did the MLS get it right? Are they, with this change, do you think this will move the league as a whole in the right direction? We talked about the growth of the women's game, but on the men's side, now maybe elevating them to a whole new level that fans now do want to watch the regular season and the playoffs knowing there's more at stake. You know, there, it's not just I, everyone's complaining about soccer, and I hate this as a soccer player. But nobody scores. Or you can watch a whole game and nobody will score. Maybe one goal. I'm like, no, there's more <laughs> exciting things to soccer than just the goals. As I know it's weird to say, but it's the truth. And we are seeing that being played out in the playoffs. So is this like the – much like you talked about – how the women's soccer game is turning a corner. Do you feel that this change is turning the MLS and even just men's soccer as a whole in the right direction, especially for our Americans who don't value soccer as much as, you know, it is valued internationally? Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, like, I kind of compare MLS to NCAA basketball where, Mm, um, you know, in, like everyone watches the NCAA basketball tournament for one month of the year. That's a mainstream sporting event that a ton of people watch in a way that they don't totally watch the regular season as much. And I honestly think that the MLS playoffs, if you're a soccer fan, you may not every soccer fan may watch MLS regular season, but you know they may watch Europe and, and you know different leagues. Uh, but the MLS playoffs are really good entertainment, really good television. And I feel like um, that might be a way for MLS to really break through. And if you look at the television audience for LAFC against the LA Galaxy, you know, that was like a million viewers in the U.S., which is way beyond yeah, what MLS typically gets for a game. So um, I think that's a, a good sign for things. There's even been some talk recently that maybe MLS should do what Mexico does with their league and have two regular seasons in one year and two sets of playoffs in a year um, to sort of double your pleasure. But we'll see if MLS considers that. Um, But I will say that the MLS playoffs have gotten to be so entertaining that um, it's, it's a pretty big jump up from the regular season. So I think they've hit upon something good.
Yeah, yeah, they might have struck gold. And maybe it's, as you touch on with the, the excitement around now the postseason, similar to March Madness, they might have figured out that there's a way to reach even, you know, you talk about the amount of viewers that LASC had. Maybe they've realized and maybe moving forward that, hey, let's amp up our playoff coverage. Let's amp up, you know, our promotions and things like that because we know we have the viewers. So who, I think you might be right. They might be onto something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm excited for, for it, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the MLS playoffs, MLS Cup playoffs do play out for the rest of the uh, conference finals and as we get into the MLS Cup. So, Grant, thank you so much for joining the show. Where can our listeners follow you on all of your incredible sports coverage, your book, all that you have going on because you're doing amazing things? Um, so my Twitter is Grant Wall, uh, W-A-H-L. Uh, you can find me there. I'm pretty active. I also have a book that came out in paperback recently. It's called Masters of Modern Soccer. It's about um, the craft of soccer position by position. Um, and I learned a lot doing it, so I think, I hope readers would get that as well. <laughs> um, and I write a lot for, for Sports Illustrated, for SI.com, our website, and I have a podcast called The Planet Football Podcast, which comes out with two episodes every week. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time to join us on Beyond the Headlines and sharing your perspective and thoughts on the NWSL, the U.S. Women's National Team, and the MLS. I appreciate having you here. My pleasure, Renee. Good talking to you. All right, everyone. It is time for a quick social media break. That's right. I want you guys to make sure you are following Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Be sure to also follow my personal pages at Renee P. Wash on Twitter and at Renee P. Washington on Facebook and Instagram. That way you can keep up to date with all the guests and topics each and every Wednesday here on Fox Sports 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes, and Google Play for every new episode of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. I hope you followed, like, comment, leave some feedback. It's all welcome, and I hope that you are enjoying the show. So right now, we're going to get back to it with our Positive Vibes Only segment. It is time for our Positive Vibes Only segment here on Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. And joining us in this episode, we've got author, pastor, motivational speaker, business consultant, man of many hats, Ralph Graves, Jr. So, Ralph, welcome to the show. Hi, Renee. How are you? I'm just so glad to be on. Oh, I'm glad to have you here. I'm excited to get into your journey and your background and as well as your books and all the things that you have going on. So I'd like to start from the beginning. What inspired you to want to inspire others to get into this field to begin with? <laughs> I think just the way I was raised, you know. Um, I've always been a helper. Um, I've come from a, a family that was always there inspiring people, and my parents uh, were the kind of parents that always had a, a good word for me and my brother kind of get us out the door. And, um, you know, just in my career um, and, and doing the things I've done on a sports team, was on the police department, um, I always found that a kind word turned away wrath and a kind word would really encourage and change somebody's behavior. Absolutely, absolutely. And now you get to meet people on a spiritual level, professional level. You know, you're working on all different aspects of a person's life. I mean, what was really that step for you to help you build yourself up to 
now be able to reach out to so many people beyond just through your books, but through the work that you do online, through, you know, your motivational speaking and being at events and things like that. What was that step to go from just wanting to help people to actually able to do it? I think, um, you know, after I retired from the police department, I did 20 years in the police department. After I retired from the police department, nice. I, and, and while I was working, I, I saw different people in, in different um, uh, seasons of their lives, and I was able to help a lot of people along the way. So I said, you know what, I have all this knowledge and, and, and all of this, this wisdom I've gained over the years. I, I've, I've got to share it. And uh, so as soon as I, uh, probably about a year before I retired, I started my journey. Um, uh, you know, preparing myself to uh, for what I wanted to do after I retired, and um, and that is, you know, tour the country, keynote speaking, and writing books, and just mm-hmm. encouraging people to discover their destiny and purpose, and 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 uh, so they can be the best version of themselves they could be. Uh, yeah, I like that. Well, congrats on retiring. That is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and Thank you. Uh, congrats on taking that next step and pursuing your passion and purpose. And your latest book that you wrote. Unstoppable Seven Universal Laws That Will Transform How You Pursue and Achieve Success has a lot of those great messages that you embody. Can you tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, those seven universal laws. I don't want to spoil them completely. We want people to read them themselves. You know, just kind of uh, a little background on on your book that people can check out. Yeah, you know, one thing about the seven universal laws, like I I tell people, I didn't reinvent the wheel. These laws are always there, and it's just (laughs) when we learn to operate with this, like like the law of gravity is a universal law. You're successful successful in life if you navigate gravity correctly, right? So so there there are other laws. Yeah, yeah. You know, the law of habit. Universal law, the law of intelligent practice, the law of forgiveness. And so I try to, I, I go into seven of these things kind of uh, to really in- encourage people uh, uh, to really learn how to navigate, to kind of shed some of the weight, to really learn how to operate within them as we uh, pursue and ultimately achieve success. You're not really going to achieve the success that you want until you learn to respect universal laws that have been put in place by our creators. And so, you know, that's, that's where that comes from. And, and I, I tie it in with stories that I've seen on the street, just in life and, and from the police mm-hmm. department and some other things. So just really encouraging people to uh, to really know what they are and apply them to your life. Right. And congratulations also. I saw your book has, uh, well, aside from being on Amazon, people can also buy it in Barnes & Noble, which is definitely a dream in itself. Yes. To have your book with your name on it, something you wrote to be sold on the shelves of Barnes & Noble. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's a dream come true. <laughs> I can only imagine. I hope one day my books will be there in Barnes & Noble, too. We'll see. <laughs> they, will, they will be. I, trust me, they will be. I'm sure of it. <laughs> so, I mean, you work, you're a game changer. You know, you're, you're working in different yeah. aspects, as we talked about. Yeah. What's your biggest message that you find yourself constantly telling people, in, whether it's in conversation or even, you know, when you're a keynote speaker, when you're preaching in church, whatever it may be, what's kind of like your, a recurring message that you feel that people would constantly either need to hear or that you feel that is the right mo- moment to share with them? I, I think the first step is, is that I kind of let people is like your, your existence is not happenstance. 
you know, you, you were you were placed in this period in time for this period in time. You're not an accident. You're, you're not a mistake. And there's something, there's an assignment. There's something deep inside you. There's a purpose. But all of us are here uh, in this short period of time we call life. There's this purpose for us to fulfill that will not only, uh, uh, you know, better uh, ourselves or propel ourselves, but better those around us. And your, our life begins to find purpose as we sow into mm-hmm. other people. And, and I think, um, you know, a, a lot of people that I meet, uh, they have a problem with self-worth. And, no, not me. Oh, yes, you. You've, you've, you, you were put here for a specific reason at, at this specific time to do great things. And I, I think that's one of the reoccurring messages. And once a person understands that, mm-hmm. then they can really pursue their purpose, their destiny, and figure out why is it that I'm here. So. Yeah, that, that's a great message. It starts there, you know, understanding where yeah. you are in your life, you know, wh- why you're here, what you've overcome, and what it taught you, and all those the lessons that we learn along the way to get to this exact moment in this exact place where we are. Right. And I know something that I've something that I came across that was so inspirational, uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes was, and of course, for anyone listening, this, regardless of your religion and religious affiliation, I feel like these messages, you know, they, be, they expand beyond a specific religion, but for me, Bishop T.D. Jakes was talking about a moment where he felt like quitting, and he had a woman come up to him and, and basically was saying how she saved his life. And that was, it was so powerful to me because a lot of times we are ready to quit and give up because we feel like things aren't going well based on our own vision, but someone out there might be seeing what we're doing and in some way we might be inspiring them. Did you have a moment like that where you, where you felt like, where you had an encounter with someone that said in some way you either saved their life, changed their life, or just made it better and, 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 and in that moment you kind of realized, wow, I'm doing the right thing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had moments like that, um, whether it was something I did on the street as a police officer or whether it's something somebody heard me keynote speaking somewhere. But I, I, I'm human, and, and there are times where the human is part like, man, nobody's listening. I'm just going to throw in the towel. I'm, I'm, you know, what, what are we doing this for? And then when you least expect it, somebody like, like out of the blue will come up to you and say, what you said today and what you did today was for me. I was going to stop. I was going to quit. I had thought about giving up. But, but just that word, you're like, wow, okay, all right, I'm still fulfilling my purpose. And I, I can't quit. i got to stay in there. i got to hang in there. So those are very rewarding moments. And um, they, they happen often. They happen often. And, and you said something very key, and I want to talk about it. Uh, and I do talk about it when it comes to this book. I tell people when it comes to Unstoppable, it does not matter what your religious background is, what you believe in. These are, like I said, like gravity. Everybody, everybody to be successful should learn how to operate in universal laws. I tell, I tell this joke that kind of makes people kind of chuckle. I said, listen, if a Christian, a non-believer, atheist, whatever, if they're on top of a building and they both jump off, the Christian ain't going to sprout wings and fly. Okay? <laughs> they, they, I like both, that. I like they both have ignored the law of gravity. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so there are like the law of reciprocity that applies to all of us. No matter who you are, whatever you plant is coming up again. It doesn't matter who you are. And so when you learn to plant good things, you can expect good things to happen in your life. So, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've had I've had moments like that where people said, "Listen, it was your word that kept me going." That is powerful. Wow. So what's next for you? 
you know, you're writing books or you're speaking. I know people can book book you now. I did see that. For <laughs> yeah, you can book me now. I have, a, I have a radio show in the Philadelphia area that starts November the 6th. Uh, I'll be on a local radio show. Um, um, it'll be on 8.60 a.m. WWDB. It's 8, 8 to 9 in the morning. We'll be there. Um, also have a, um, a television program we're starting November 13th. And uh, that's on a, a network called RVN TV. I don't know if you guys heard of it, but um, it'll be shown on Roku and those other things uh, that you can. If you have a smart TV, you can catch up on it. Um, so doors are opening, and, and uh, we're going to give everything the best that we can, the, the best that we have. And uh, I have some more books coming. I'm not done. I got 25 books in me. I got about 25 in me. So wow. we, we got quite a few more to do. Yeah. How many yeah. have you written so far? Two, two. <laughs> you got it. You're well on your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two yeah. Books the first down, one. Twenty-three to go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And uh, but I, I just want to encourage people, and 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 I love what you're doing here. I mean, this is phenomenal. So glad that we linked up. Um, uh, and I just want to encourage you if, if it's in your heart, if your purpose to do it, go for it. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, there are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be high, high points and low points. But whatever you do, don't stop moving and don't stop pressing forward. There you go. Well, yeah. here's, here's a funny for you. It's such a small world. I actually hosted a, a sports show with RV and TV. That would have been like two years ago now. Wow! Wow! Them. Yep, it was called the Sports Break. <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! Wow! What my show is now beyond the headlines, but <laughs> one of wow. my well, very first time—that was my my first show I ever hosted. That was my purely my show and my visit. But yeah, small world. Wow. Well, would you mind if I had you on my show? See how this works with people about to witness me book yeah, you on my show. For sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. And where can where can our listeners follow you as you're now getting, you know, expanding beyond just books and, and all that you're already doing to now also have a radio and TV presence? Where can they follow along to keep up with you on social media and things like that? Everywhere. Instagram at Ralph Graves Jr. Um, LinkedIn, Ralph Graves Jr. Facebook, Ralph Graves Jr. A couple of Facebook pages, Ralph Graves Jr. Um, uh, what else? Uh, what else? Oh. Uh, the YouTube channel, the YouTube channel, which we're really beginning to grow uh, through these other news. So, um, and you can just email me at yournextkeynotespeaker.com. Um, they can go to my website. It's, uh, it's ralphgravesjr.com. My email, I have another email connected to that. Everything's Ralph Graves. Ralph at ralphgravesjr.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the, you know, it's, what's funny is I had to pay a lot of money for a branding agent to tell me that. I couldn't figure that myself. Uh, oh. but, <laughs> to make everything the, the same. Isn't that something? That's right. Keep everything the same, you know. So that's where you'll be able to find me, and, and we can connect, and we can talk, and, um, and find out how we can work together. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time. To join us on our Positive Vibes Only segment. It's been a pleasure having you on the show this week. Thank you. And I hope someone was inspired. I know I was. It's, it's always great to hear an inspirational message just reminding you that you're, you're doing okay. You know, you're human. Yeah. You're living life. You're where you're supposed to be. And everything is working out for, for your good. So thank That's you right. so That's much. That's right. Thank you for having me.
And just like that, we are already at the end of another episode of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. Episode 17 is in the books. Seems like just yesterday we were kicking off the show with our show's premiere in the middle of hot July. And now we are already almost at November. I cannot believe that. So if you are not keeping up with all that is going on with the show on social media, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Plus, you can follow my personal pages at Renee P. Wash on Twitter and at Renee P. Washington on Facebook and Instagram. By now, you've had the opportunity to hear what Jared Weiss had to say about the NBA in the initial games to start off the season. It's been nothing but excitement, surprises. Oh, it has not disappointed us at all. Plus, we got into the NWSL Championship with the North Carolina Courage winning in a 4-0 dominant game. The new U.S. Women's National Team head coach, and MLS Cup predictions with Grant Wall. And then in our Positive Vibes Only segment, it was Ralph Graves Jr., the pastor, motivational speaker, author, and so much more, did talk about his journey to getting where he is today, his inspiration, and the work that he's doing, along with some great messages that I hope inspired you just as much as they inspired me. So, Be sure to subscribe and follow Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington on Fox Sports 96.9 FM, 1340 AM, iTunes, and Google Play for a new episode each and every Wednesday starting at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. So it's about that time where you get to sit back, dance a little, sing a little, relax as you enjoy the music to close out the show. And this week, we've got Indigo Monet. She is doing some great things in the music business. She's a musician. She's a producer, and she brings a different sound with her music. Starting from the underground, she has been just blossoming into her own category of music. And I think you'll hear why with her song, Energy. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Enjoy the rest of your week, too. Have a great Halloween, and I look forward to having you all right back here next Wednesday for episode 18 of Beyond the Headlines with Renee Washington. Have a good one.
trying to work on my energy I'm trying to work on my energy If I don't send for you, don't you send for me If I don't send for you, don't you send for me I am just trying to fly I'm gonna reach on my high So I'm gonna work on my energy I'm gonna work on my energy No, I'm trying to work on my energy I'm trying to work on my energy I'm trying to work on my, work on my I've been working, I've been searching That's the difference between me and you Flowing, now I let it. Yeah. Never force it, never sweat it. 